Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the book of Hebrews, the writer takes time to speak about Melchizedek. The writer speaks of Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7 and in Hebrews chapter 5. I'd like to start in Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, it says about the Lord Jesus being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And then the writer goes on into the other subjects of Hebrews chapter 5 and then Hebrews chapter 6, but then he picks up the subject of Melchizedek in chapter 7. In chapter 5, speaking of Melchizedek, that the Lord Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, but that isn't to say that there is a Melchizedek priesthood that's similar to the Levitical priesthood, but instead to say that the Lord Jesus is a fulfillment of the type that was illustrated or revealed through Melchizedek. He is a priest as Melchizedek was a priest. Melchizedek did not found an order of priests, for example. Melchizedek was identified as a king of righteousness or a representative of righteousness. So also the Lord Jesus is the God, the living God, the creator of the universe manifested in the flesh, who is also righteous. He is much greater than Melchizedek in that sense. Melchizedek certainly had no beginning or end in the sense that he did not have an identified genealogy where people knew where he came from, and apparently there is no record of where he went. In that sense, the Lord Jesus is a type of Melchizedek in that he has no real beginning and he has no end. He does have a genealogy in the sense that we have the genealogies recorded in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of Matthew. But like I said, Melchizedek is a type of the Lord Jesus. He is someone who foreshadows the Lord Jesus in that sense. And the Lord Jesus is a fulfillment of this type that was expressed through Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is first spoken of in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, where he is identified as the king of Salem and that he was also a priest of the Most High God, which is to say that he was a king of a community of people, and in addition to that, he was a representative of the Most High God in the sense that he knew of the Most High God. He knew of him. Abraham was not the only person on the planet who knew about the living God, but that there was someone else. In this case, it was Melchizedek who was mentioned as another person who knew of the living God, who did want to have a relationship with him to some extent. In this sense, he at least served him to a certain degree. And to what degree that would be, it may simply be to say that he is a testimony, that he testifies of the living God, of the Most High God. He was a king of that community, but he wasn't the only king in the region. There were other kings there. And in Genesis chapter 14, we have the historical record of some other kings coming and making war against these kings in the region, to include the king of Salem, Melchizedek. 
but also the king of Sodom and of Gomorrah, that there were other kings who came and made war, and they took away several people and a lot of wealth from these other kingdoms. That was one way that people would generate revenue, was by simply stealing it from other people. And they would also be able to acquire slaves in that way, so that these slaves could be a labor force for them, for future production and for the future development of wealth. Abraham responded to this war because Lot was taken captive by these kings. And so Abraham went and made war against these kings, and he won. And through winning the war, he took back Lot, and he freed the other people who were also held captive, and he recovered the wealth that was stolen. When he returned with the people and with the wealth, he gave a tenth of what he acquired when he went to war, a tenth of the plunder, He took a tenth of that and he gave it to Melchizedek. This is the historical event that's described in Genesis chapter 14. Now, if we were to read the account in Hebrews chapter 7, it does give us a summary concerning what took place. In Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, it is written, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Well, in this context, he remains a priest perpetually in the sense that Melchizedek will live forever, just like we all will live forever, that there is no end to Melchizedek. There is certainly plenty of evidence to say that he ended physically, that he did eventually die. There just simply may be no record of that, which is why they would say he has neither beginning of days nor end of life, probably because they did not know when he died, where he would be buried, things like that. If that's the case, then he still is a recognized priest of God, that there was no way for him to be appointed, and so there is no way for him to be unappointed. No one gave him permission to be priest, and so no one can take that away. I believe that's what he's referring to. Not to say that this is the Lord Jesus who manifested in the flesh and lived among the people as the King Melchizedek. I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that this is a man who just simply was recognized as being a great man, who was recognized as being a priest of the Most High God, a king of the community of peace, the king of Salem, but that I don't believe that this is a manifestation of the Lord Jesus. At any rate, if you continue in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4, it says, Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils, and those indeed of the sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And, so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, here the writer speaks of the subject of tithing, and so because we see the subject of tithing here, it is assumed 
that the purpose of Hebrews chapter 7 is to speak about tithing. I honestly see no evidence that the reason why the writer of Hebrews speaks about tithing here is for the purpose of talking about tithing. I see no evidence for that at all. I personally believe that the evidence is quite overwhelming to show that the writer is intending to speak about something different than tithing. However, for the most part, people will look at Hebrews chapter 7 and believe that the purpose of this is to speak about tithing. And this is why. The reason why is because in this case, there is an opportunity to speak about tithing before the law of Moses. Because Abraham was before Moses, Melchizedek was before Moses, and if Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, then this would mean that tithing existed long before the law. And so, if it existed long before the law, then it should exist long after the law. And this is how it's used, and this is why people will use Hebrews chapter 7 for the subject of tithing, is to say that if tithing existed before the law, it certainly must also exist after the law. It is independent of the law. It is separate from the law. And because of that, you need to tithe. You need to tithe, and of course you need to tithe to me. That's what most people say who are proclaiming this, who are preaching this. They're using this for the purpose of getting other people to tithe to them, which is to give them a tenth of their produce, a tenth of their income. But that's not what happened. That is not what happened here. First, let me describe what's taking place here when the writer speaks of the Levites tithing through Abraham. I'm going to speak about that first, and then I'm going to describe the tithe that Abraham gave and what it actually was. For example, if you were to start in verse 5, this is Hebrews chapter 7, verse 5, it says, And those indeed of the sons of Levi who receive the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. And so that says that inasmuch as there are other children of Abraham and the Levites collected a tithe, so also Melchizedek collected a tithe from those who were not his brethren. It is a type and shadow in order to describe the limitation or the reduction of the type of tithe in comparison with the magnitude of the type of tithe that Abraham gave to someone else who was not a part of his family. Continuing in verse 9, it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 9, And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So the Levites paid tithes to Melchizedek. Well, they didn't really pay tithes in the sense that they received an income from the people and then paid one-tenth of what they received to the Melchizedek priesthood. That certainly is not what happened. What the writer is saying is that Abraham had an amount of wealth. And when he gave a portion of that wealth to Melchizedek, he no longer had that wealth available to give to his children as an inheritance. In that way, the Levites paid tithes through Abraham to Melchizedek. In that way, because of the lack of inheritance, because of the reduction of the inheritance that they would have otherwise received if Abraham had not given that to Melchizedek. But in saying this, what he is saying is that Melchizedek is greater, or the Melchizedek priesthood is greater than the Levitical priesthood. And the Melchizedek priesthood is a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus, who also is greater than the Levitical priesthood. And that's what he goes into saying after Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, which I will come back to a little bit later. 
That's the intent of this, is to say that there is someone greater than the Levitical priesthood, namely Melchizedek. And so if there is someone greater than the Levitical priesthood, because they obviously gave tithes to Melchizedek, that shows that he is greater than they are. In that sense, it sets the precedence, it sets the position that there could be someone greater than the Levitical priesthood. If Melchizedek was greater than the Levitical priesthood, then certainly Jesus could possibly, which he is, could be greater than the Levitical priesthood. And so and when people go into the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 7 to speak about tithing, the Levites tithed, you need to understand that this is a reduction of an inheritance. It is not a distribution of a portion of someone's income. It is a tenth, certainly. It is a tithe in the sense that if we were to translate that word, it would be a tenth. But it definitely is not the tithe according to the law of Moses. It is not that tithe. That was a different kind of tithe for a different purpose, distributed in a completely different way. It has no relationship whatsoever to the tithe that was declared by Moses that the people were to give the Levites. has nothing to do with that. And the way that the writer uses this is only to say that there is someone greater than the Levitical priesthood. Now, when you look into the tithe that Abraham gave to Melchizedek, you will find again that this has nothing to do with income. It has nothing to do with produce. It has nothing to do with either one of those things. It has to do with something entirely different. You see, Abraham did not give a tenth of his produce, a tenth of his flock, a tenth of his grain, whatever he was able to harvest or collect. He did not give a tenth of his income to Melchizedek. What he gave was a tenth of the plunder, a tenth of the spoils. That's described in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 2, where it says, To whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. When Abraham gave a tithe, or a tenth, he gave a tenth of the plunder that he acquired. Now, let me try to explain this to you in somewhat of a modern context. Let's assume that you were robbed. Let's assume that somebody came to your home and took all of the things that are in your home that you would consider to be of value. Let's assume that somebody does that. Somebody comes and robs you, takes all of your stuff, and in great distress and great despair, in order to try to get somebody to listen to you about your distress and about your depression, you contact me and say, Aaron, I need to tell you something. I just need to tell somebody. Somebody just came into my home and stole all the things that I had that had any significant value. They have just robbed me. I have been plundered. Somebody came in here without my permission and they just took everything and it's gone and I have no idea who they are or where they went or where they took my stuff or what they're going to do with it. It's just gone. Well, let's assume that I find out who did it. Let's assume that somehow I managed to find out, perhaps through the rumor mill or maybe they tried to sell some of the things and I found out who they were and what those things were and that they were your belongings. And so I find out where they are I find out where they're keeping all of your stuff, and I decide to go and make war, in effect. I go and I attack these people, and I recover all of your stuff. Let's say that that's what happens. You've been robbed, I find out who robbed you, and so I go to the robbers, and I attack them, and I recover all of the things that they stole from you. 
And then, of course, I collect all of these things, and I take them out of the location where they were, where the robbers put them, and where do I take them? Well, I take them to my home, or to my warehouse, or wherever else I may feel that I would like to store these things. But on my way to my home, or on my way to wherever I'm going to store these things and keep these things, I stop by your place. I just stop by just because I'd like to be polite, and I'd like to let you know that I did manage to recover all of your property. And just to show my generosity, I would just like to give you one-tenth of your property back. And the other 90% of the things that you lost that were stolen from you, I'm going to keep those. And I'll use them for whatever my heart desires. Now, how would you feel if I did that? I mean, how would you really feel concerning that? Would you feel as though you were significantly blessed or just a little bit blessed? I mean, how would you personally feel? Would you feel as though I'm giving you a tithe? Would you feel as though I'm supporting you in some way in order to allow you to do some other work of some kind, perhaps for the Lord, a form of ministry? No, you wouldn't feel that way at all. But that's exactly what took place here. That's what happened. Abraham gave one-tenth of the plunder that had been taken from these people. He gave that back to them, and he kept 90% of the wealth that was stolen from them. That's what happened. You need to understand that that's what happened, because if you don't understand that, you can easily assume whatever anybody tells you. So let me make this clear. If anybody tells you that Hebrews chapter 7 speaks about tithing before the law, I want you to know that this person, whoever this person may be, is definitely lying to you. And I have to say that this person is lying to you because I'm making the assumption that they actually read this chapter. If they read this chapter, then they should know full well, just by reading this, they should know. They should know, especially if they studied this, if they claim to be a pastor, a minister, a priest, or whatever they want to call themselves, if they claim that this is speaking about tithing and that you need to tithe a tenth of your income, probably to them, then this person is a liar and the truth is not in them. And you've got no business supporting them with the money that the Lord has provided you to perpetuate his gospel. It has nothing to do with that. This has absolutely nothing to do with the subject of tithing. Now, I'm not saying that to say that I'm against tithing. I'm not saying that. I'm only saying that if you want to find supporting verses or supporting chapters that says that we are to tithe to priests or to ministers or whoever in order to support the gospel, then you need to look somewhere else. You need to look to some other passages in the scriptures, but definitely not these. Now, I personally do not see any evidence anywhere else in the New Covenant, anywhere else in the New Testament. I personally do not see any evidence that there are any passages in the New Covenant that suggests that we are to tithe. I don't see any. I do know of many passages that people do refer to, believing that that's what they are intended to be used for. But just like Hebrews chapter 7, I have a different understanding concerning those passages as well. I don't believe that we are to tithe. I believe that the tithe was given by God for the purpose of supporting the Levitical priesthood so that the Levitical priesthood could perform the function that the Lord declared that they should perform as the governmental infrastructure, the governmental representatives, those who would maintain law and order, resolve conflicts, inspect housing, maintain health and welfare, things like that. The Levitical priesthood was supported by the tithe, However, I am not the Levitical priesthood. I am not a Levitical priest. 
and I have yet to find any pastor or minister or priest or anyone for that matter who is a Levitical priest. But don't worry, the day is coming when in Jerusalem, when the temple is rebuilt, the Levitical priesthood will be reconstituted, reborn, will be empowered in order to perform services for God. And when that takes place, then you can send a check to the Levitical priesthood of the temple in Jerusalem. And that would be consistent with the law of Moses, with the Old Covenant, and with the subject of tithing. I do certainly believe in giving. The work that I do for the Lord right now is supported by people's gifts. It is supported by donations. And so I ask people that if they have an interest in me doing more work that I have already done, similar work in order to help them individually and personally, if they would like to see me do more work, then they can donate to the work that I'm doing through either By Grace Fellowship or Living God Ministries. And through that, I can use those funds in order to perform work. Or if they would like others to benefit from the work that I have done, then they can contribute. And those resources will certainly be used in order to propagate the gospel and continue the evangelistic efforts that I am regularly involved in. I certainly do believe in that. I have no problem with that. Just don't call it a tithe. Don't call it a tithe. Don't tithe to me. Give me what you can freely that is a representation of how you have personally benefited from the work that I have done and as a representation of how you would like others to benefit from the work that I have done and the work that I can do in the future. On that basis, I can certainly be very thankful for whatever people share. But Hebrews chapter 7 does not speak about tithing. The reason why the writer brings up the subject of tithing is simply to say that there is someone greater than Abraham as is described in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7, but without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And to say that Abraham was blessed, Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek, is to say that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Now, this is a big deal. This is a huge statement. This is a very important revelation to the Hebrews, who this letter is written to. And that is that there could possibly be someone greater than Abraham. That is the purpose of Hebrews chapter 7 verses 1 through 10. And that is to say that there is someone greater than Abraham. You see, to the Hebrew, there was no one who was greater than Abraham. The high priest was not greater than Abraham. Moses was not greater than Abraham. No one was greater than Abraham in accordance with the fact that Abraham spoke with our God as he would with a friend. He met with him. He ate with him. He talked with him. Abraham was personally intimate with the living God. He negotiated with the living God concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. He was blessed by God concerning his son Isaac, and he was given the blessing the promise of the Messiah through whom all of the families on the earth would be blessed. According to the Hebrews, there was no one who was greater than Abraham. But the writer here makes it clear that yes, there was. There was someone who was greater than Abraham. It was Melchizedek, and it is illustrated through the fact that Abraham presented a tenth of the spoils that he acquired in war, and also that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And so on the basis of the blessing that Melchizedek gave to Abraham, Abraham was lesser than Melchizedek. Now, the purpose of this is certainly not to say that there is someone greater than Abraham that is Melchizedek, but it is to say that if there is someone who is greater than Abraham that is Melchizedek, 
then there is another who can be greater than Abraham and also greater than Melchizedek, and that is the Lord Jesus. So this is the point, and that is that if there is someone greater than Abraham, then it could be that the Lord Jesus is also greater than Abraham. And if you can acknowledge that, then it can be easy to acknowledge that perhaps Jesus, who is the Messiah, is the greatest of all. This is the theme of the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer speaks of Jesus being greater than the angels. In Hebrews chapter 3, the writer speaks of the Lord Jesus being greater than Moses. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer speaks of the Lord Jesus being greater than the high priest. And in Hebrews chapter 7, the writer speaks of the Lord Jesus being greater than the Levitical priesthood and, of course, is greater than Melchizedek. That's what's important to identify here that he is a fulfillment of the type and shadow of Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus is. And if that's the case, then we should pay attention to him, that is, Jesus. We should consider the importance of what he did. We should consider the importance of what he said. We should consider the importance of who he is and acknowledge him for who he is and acknowledge what he has accomplished and acknowledge what he is doing in our lives right now and of course what he will do in the future. The purpose of Hebrews chapter 7 is to show the Hebrew that there is someone greater than Abraham and if that's the case it should not be that difficult to acknowledge that Jesus is greater than Abraham. Now when it comes to the subject of tithing I have done a series of programs on the subject of tithing. And you can, of course, retrieve those on my radio archive found at livinggodministries.net, or you can contact me for the audio CDs. I do understand that the subject of tithing is a very important subject to many people, that it is a very popular subject that is presented in churches every week all over the world. I do believe in tithing. However, I believe that tithing was instituted by our God to support the Levitical priesthood. I am certainly not the Levitical priesthood. Your local pastor is definitely not a member of the Levitical priesthood. And so if a person wants to talk about tithing, talk about tithing in the context of tithing. And that was clearly defined in the Old Covenant to support the Levitical priesthood for the purpose of enabling the people of the Levitical priesthood to perform the duties and responsibilities that they had in the nation of Israel. When it comes to communicating the gospel, it's free will giving. It's a matter of giving whatever you would like to give in order to support the perpetuation of the gospel. This is how we live today. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,